Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to This Week in Review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, back in March, we published some research that suggested net zero is not feasible and would have to be abandoned. At the time, that was very controversial and I couldn't find many other people suggesting the same thing. Now the media have gone flat out anti-net zero as far as I can tell. Um, I mean, at some point, you would have been banned or even debanked for suggesting that net zero shouldn't be pursued. Now, is this a case of farewell net zero, we hardly knew you? Is it already over or do you think the establishment's going to have another crack? Yeah, I mean, one of the things on the charge sheet against me from Coop's Bank is I was sceptical about the implementation of net zero. I mean, you know, knock me down with a feather. Um, and yet we now get Philip Hammond, the former chancellor, saying it's unfeasible, it's unrealistic, we must be honest about the one trillion sterling cost and who is going to pay. And interestingly, I think ULES has helped with this. The ULES extension has helped with this. Um, I live right on the edge of Kent and Greater London. I've never known a political issue locally to be as contentious as ULES. You know, and Khan says, oh, it's OK, only one in 10 cars in London and not you, Les Compliant. Yeah, sure. You know, if you go to Chelsea and Kensington and Islington and Hampstead, no one drives an old banger. Come where I live, and everybody of retirement age drives an old banger because they can't afford anything new. I would guess around here, probably three out of four cars are not you, Les Compliant. Virtually every single van, whether it's owned by a delivery driver, a local electrician, um, a chap I've got to get to come out to kill the wasps because uh, they come every year. Um, so it's a really big issue. And so the Uxbridge by-election was a real wake-up call. You know, everyone thought that Labour would romp home in Uxbridge and it's ULES what swung it. And the Conservatives held on. So ULES has sparked a much bigger debate um, about low-traffic neighbourhoods and about so many things. And the polling was really interesting. You see, if you ask people, are you worried about the climate? Well, yeah. Yeah, like only, only about 8% say I couldn't care less. <laughs> you know, everyone's concerned. And then you ask them, um, you know, are you prepared uh, to put a £10,000 heat pump on the side of your house uh, in Scotland, for example, so, so, that, so that you can legally sell a property? And they go, whoa, hang on a second. Um, and this is the point. And it's been the point for 20 years. And I've laboured away, uh, toiled away in the vineyard, often on my own on this one, is the costs of all of this fall disproportionately on the poorest. Um, and I think people understand that China, I think last year built 80 giant coal-fired power stations. Uh, today's big story is about Drax, which, you know, again, I've been banging on about for years. They cut down half the Canadian forest, burn it in Yorkshire and tell us it's green. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like politics and the media are catching up with where the public are on this th on this stuff. It's not that we're unconcerned um, about the world in which we live, uh, but we're beginning to become sceptical that every single weather event is due to climate change. I mean, today's big story is the Red Admiral butterfly. Now, it's a, it, it's a beautiful butterfly, and I must confess, I saw a lot at the weekend. We're now told there's four times the number of Red Admirals in the UK this year, and that's all because of climate change. Well, I remember 25 years ago, an estimated 5 billion painted ladies crossed from Europe and North Africa 
but then it wasn't climate change, but now it is. And we're getting bored with it all. So yeah, there's a big reappraisal and it isn't just happening here. It's happening across the whole of Europe as well. And interestingly, uh, wind farms, offshore wind farms, the cost now of getting the materials and getting the blades mean they can only work and there will only be fresh investment if taxpayer subsidy goes up, not down. So yeah, we're having a proper conversation. That said, you know, don't underestimate how deep-rooted this religion of climate change is in Westminster, Brussels, and Washington, D.C. But I think, I mean, for example, you know, the 2030 target, um, which Grant Shapps insists that after 2030, there'll be no new cars manufactured in Britain uh, with internal combustion engines. Well, you know, if we continue with that, we're just giving the market to China, literally giving the market to China. So, yeah, some big reappraisals. I remember when you first discussed this, I said to you, but Nigel, they can't just turn on a dime and just pretend that they you know, never said net zero was required to save the planet. They can't just turn on a dime and say, all of this, we can just delay it. Don't worry about it because they've been fear mongering so long. And you said, yes, they will. They can do that anytime. Oh, yes. That's I've been, uh, you know. You know, today's Sun newspaper, um, huge article by by my good friend Jacob Rees-Mogg. We're the party of the car. We're the party of liberty. Well, they, you know, for the last 15 years, they've been telling us vote blue, go green. Um, but they turn on the sixpence. And, and, and there's no there's no embarrassment of any kind at all. I mean, there's no sense of shame. I mean, even when ULES was first introduced by Khan, the conservative run, Department of Transport approved of the plan, but hey, that's the world we're living in. Yeah, and then Lord Frost suggesting that global warming will be good for the UK, Tony Blair coming out against the cost of net zero. I think the IPCC chairman, the new one, is out against fear-mongering over the climate. It's just um, yeah, yeah. They have have they no integrity is the right word, right? They just have no integrity whatsoever. No, no, no absolutely none. Absolutely none. Probably, if we troll back through human history, we'll discover they probably never did. Um, it's probably just the function. And, you know, it's back to the old, isn't it? You know, Churchill, democracy is terrible, but it's the best form of government we've yet invented. And it's kind of that's what's playing out again. Yeah, maybe it's a sign everything's working as it shouldn't be. And we just had to kick up enough of a fuss. Yeah. Um, let's move on to, to interest rates. Mm. It seems to me that higher interest rates are really starting to bite. There was a delay because a lot of the people who did borrow at extremely low rates and they were therefore were extremely mm. vulnerable had their mortgages reset eventually and not immediately to the higher interest rates. That seems to now be happening and it's causing a lot of problems, especially for landlords in the Southeast for house prices. My question to you is, can the Bank of England reverse course and cut interest rates if there's some sort of house price crash, but inflation doesn't fall below 2%? I don't think a house price crash is going to happen. I mean, they fell 3.8% last month, biggest fall for years. I mean, so what? So what? After the amount they've risen, so blooming what? If they fall 15%, so what? 20%, so what? Um, no, I, I just don't see this as being as, as being the big issue. I mean, the thing we've got to think about is, you know, there isn't there are no inflationary pressures coming from China whatsoever. So we've got the inflationary West and the mildly deflationary uh, elements of the Far East. Um the real problem for government is they have to get inflation down for a reason that 
isn't being talked about. It is in their infinite wisdom. Most of the recent bond issuances, gilts, have been inflation-linked. I know it's hard to believe. It is hard to believe that that's what they did, but that literally is what they did. So they have to keep putting up interest rates. They have to crush inflation. Otherwise, the annual debt repayment just starts to get to levels. I mean, it's probably, well, right now it's double the defence budget, just to give you some idea of how much we're paying back. So, yeah, you know, it is vital for government to get the inflation number down. Uh, that is being helped, as I say, by deflationary pressures coming from China. Um, but it seems very difficult to believe that it won't push the UK into recession. Very, very difficult indeed. You know, I would have thought that by the time we get into, you know, properly into Q4, be very surprised if we're not in a recession. And that's a direct result of rates. I mean, you know, this is the 14th rate rise in a row, but you can see why they're doing it. And it's funny, so little debate about this national debt, so little debate about the fact that it's gone from, well, when the Tories took power, it was about 750 billion, and it's now 2.6 trillion. And as I say, much of it, linked to inflation so so i think i think that explains you know perhaps why they're doing what they're doing is that the next big issue then in politics or will this stay under the carpet the fact that the interest expense is is spiraling we wouldn't say out of control yet but i would say so, it's a funny one because after the quasi quoting budget suddenly we were talking about gilts we were talking about borrowing and even the american economy this week's had a downgrade from some of the ratings agencies um it's very difficult, very difficult for national debt to become a big party political issue because basically both the Conservatives and Labour uh, will be relying, whoever wins the next election, on continued borrowing. Um, um, but if inflation does stay high, uh, then it will become an issue. But I, I think we all think inflation is going to ease, don't we? And, and, and it is going to ease. It won't disappear completely, but it is going to ease. So I, I kind of think... I kind of think important though it is, it's not likely to have the salience that it probably deserves. Sorry to interrupt, but if you're enjoying this content, you can get it every single day. Just click the link in the description or go to fortuneandfreedom.com. Get a daily email from our team of experts. Thank you. No one wants to say the A word being austerity, but the part of this that interests me is that we haven't had this issue of interest expense specifically rising to these extreme levels disproportionately in the UK because of the inflation issue and, and the inflation linked bonds. But if that in interest expense share of the budget grows, that starts to put actual pressure on other forms of government spending, the, the type of which we haven't quite seen yet because interest rates were so low for so long. Mm. So do you think perhaps the interest expense issue specifically could start to play a role in a way that you know hasn't hasn't had the opportunity to in the past. Well, it may, it may, but it needs, it will need one of the major parties to weaponise it, and that's the point I'm making: is that the Conservatives would rather we didn't debate it after 13 years in government and this massive growth, and unless Labour do a sort of 1977 Dennis Healy who was actually a monetarist. He really was actually a monetarist. He was pursuing many of the Thatcherite policies way before she got into uh, number 10. So unless Labour do that, then it won't, as I say, I, as I repeat, 
it won't become the issue that it should. And, you know, all the indications are that Rachel Reeves, the shadow chancellor, um, and there are rumours of a growing rift between her and Keir Starmer, but she appears to be more interested in identity politics than fixing the economy. I mean, quite extraordinary, you know, that after Alison Rose, Dame Alison Rose, of course, um, after she quit last week, after her briefings to the BBC, that it was Rachel Reeves that said, oh, this is terrible. She's been bullied out of office, and she's a woman. Well, I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less what gender she is, what class she I couldn't give a damn about any of this stuff. It's, was she up to the job? Was she really worth five million quid a year if she can't obey the first basic rule of banking? So, so as, as, as I say, I just don't see Rachel Reeves weaponizing this, because the implication of that would be that Labour in government would get the amount we're borrowing every year down. And I don't see anything in their plans that suggests that. It's a very awkward situation because it could just continue to worsen to the point where things do get quite drastic. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, as I say, you know, last October, November, um, there was a period where for the first time in my life, questions were being asked about could they get guilt auctions away? I've never seen that before. Um, and we might get back to that. It's funny, isn't it? You know, when you look at it all, you look at the state Britain's in, you look at the state Europe's in, and America may be riven with political difficulties, but it's difficult not to think that in relative terms, America's going to go on doing relatively better than we are. Let's move then on to a really interesting point I noticed in the, in the news. Um, I think it's the top of the FT website at the moment. It's two headlines. Uh, one is that the Eurozone's come out of recession. Um, so it was in recession for two quarters. And it is also posting, at the same time, record low unemployment, which is a truly bizarre situation because unemployment is usually a lagging indicator, meaning that usually uh, unemployment peaks at the end of a recession. Mm. So, but what's going on there? Well, I best guess demographics. But Yeah, we, you know, we have got a labour shortage across the entirety of the Western world, and it's partially, it's partially demographic with an ageing population, uh, but it's partially cultural. Uh, it is the ever increasing size share of the state in people's lives through a whole range of benefits you know unemployed couple living in london with a couple of kids and an elderly dependent relative benefits after tax twenty nine and a half thousand pounds a year well you know you've got to go out and earn over 40 to be better off working so you've got that issue same in america too actually You've got that issue. Plus, it's interesting. I had um, I was talking to um, a guy called Cyrus Todawali, um, OBE, an Indian migrant to Britain, hugely successful curry chef. He's got schools, training youngsters, just an all-round top egg. And he said, "Look, one of the problems is young people just do not want, just do not want to work in the way that we did. It is a huge cultural change that youngsters are being brought up to believe that work-life balance is more important." That ambition now who's to say what's right and what's wrong you know i have this debate with my own children um but there is a reluctance to work long hours a reluctance to work hard and a welfare system that encourages you not to work and i think that explains why these unemployment figures are as low as they are do you think monetary policy and fiscal policy still has the same power if unemployment doesn't move in the way that it used to because of these labor shortages well yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because whatever you do with those levers, whatever you do with those levers, you're not 
going to affect demography. And you would have thought you might affect culture, but I'm just not sure at the moment. I mean, I, you know, even if we radically cut taxes, I'm not sure that would make, I'm not sure that would make a lot of young people want to work harder. It's a bizarre situation because it seems to me the central bankers are relying on engineering unemployment in order to bring down inflation, yeah. um, which is the sort of yeah. wrong way going about it anyway, but it hasn't worked. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I mean, my one big conclusion for the week, Mick, looking at, looking at all of it, looking at you know political crises, looking at, as you say, this massive turnaround uh, on the thinking about uh, net zero, what it's actually going to cost people. Um, having spoken to, you know, a major private equity firm this week about the fact that wind farms just, they can't work anymore economically. We can't build anymore without massive subsidy. And that, and that you know, could really become an election issue. You know, the one big conclusion I get from all of this and looking at the trends in polls is that nuclear's got a major future. I, I just, there is no way around all of this. You know, and even if nuclear is expensive, you know, the idea that it gives us, the idea that it gives us um, 100% reliable baseload power without the tax scams of Drax or whatever else it may be. I, 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 I sort of feel at the end of this week, ever more than before, uh, that Western populations are turning increasingly towards saying, we have to go for this in a major way. Well, thank you for watching and I hope you agree it's never been more important to take control of your own money, your own financial situation. We do a daily free email, a fortune and freedom daily email with lots of knowledge, lots of insight. It's a very useful way of protecting yourself for the future. So please click the link in the description or go to fortuneandfreedom.com and get my daily email.